Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Apostle Paul had come to the city of Philippi about ten years prior to him writing uh, the words that we just heard from Philippians chapter 3 in in this letter uh, to the Christians of Philippi. He had brought to them the greatest treasure that they could ever possibly have in this life, the treasure of the gospel, the good news about Jesus as their Savior, and the full forgiveness of all of their sins that he won for them by his death on the cross. The pardon, the peace, and the eternal life that they have through faith in Jesus as Savior. Philippi was a Roman colony, and in that time when uh, the Roman Empire controlled much of the Mediterranean world from Uh, Most of Europe and uh, much of the Middle East and and Northern Africa, uh, being a citizen of Rome, carried with it special status and privilege. But the Apostle Paul told those citizens of Philippi, who were also Roman citizens, that in spite of all the benefits that, that came to them as Roman citizens, being a citizen of heaven through faith in Jesus as the Savior is far more important and comes with far greater benefits than being a Roman citizen. The benefit of eternal life and of having glorified bodies to live with God forever in perfect peace and joy. And so Paul encourages them in his letter to keep striving toward that goal of heaven, not being all wrapped up in earthly things, but thinking about those heavenly things as the ultimate goal. And so it'll be helpful for us to understand the context of of these words that we just heard read from Philippians chapter 3. If we take a look back at the verses just before this selection and see what Paul describes about his own life before he became a Christian. He tells of the struggle in his life uh, during those days when he thought that a person could work their way into the presence and, and the good graces of God. He said that he had confidence in the flesh, in the things that he did and and the things that that he had felt could be achieved by obeying God's law. He was determined that if anyone could earn their way into heaven by their good works, it would be him. He said that he was born of the God's chosen people of Israel, and according to God's command, he was circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. And he fully dedicated all of his energy and his whole life to obeying God's law, even obeying the additional rules around God's law that the Pharisees had set up as a hedge to make sure that not only did they not break God's commands, but by obeying these additional commands that they had put around God's law, they would make absolutely certain never to break one of God's commands, or so they thought. He labored tirelessly to keep all of those commandments You may remember that he felt that those who believed in Jesus as the Savior were committing blasphemy against God, that they were heretics, and that they were turning their back on the truth of God's word. But then, one day, God opened Paul's eyes to see a great mystery, that Jesus is indeed the Son of God and the Savior. And the people can't save themselves. They need God's Savior to save them. So Jesus himself 
appeared to Paul as Paul was on his way to persecute Christians after Jesus had already died on the cross and, and risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, which Paul at that time did not yet believe. But then when Jesus appeared to him miraculously from heaven in blinding light, immediately Paul realized that everything he had believed before, he says, was rubbish, was worthless. He had devoted his life to a lie. Now that he knew Jesus, he knew the truth and the only thing of true value. And so Paul emphasizes again uh, to the Philippians that, yes, he realizes that all his previous work trying to earn his, his own way into heaven, none of it would, would make any difference because it was all tainted with sin. He is a sinner. As the prophet Isaiah wrote, all our righteous acts, as hard as we might try, are still like filthy rags in God's sight because of our sinful nature. He couldn't, on his own, work his way into God's presence, into God's good graces, even if he worked with all his effort for a million years on this earth. By the works of the law, no one can be justified. And so Paul finally admitted in verse 7 of, of uh, chapter 3, before our reading, he said, These things I have come to consider a loss. Instead of being an advantage to me, in fact, they were a disadvantage, a loss, because they had led him astray from the truth that we must rely on the Savior God sends. We cannot rely on ourselves. That's an important lesson that every Christian, every person needs to learn in order to be saved. But uh, the natural religion of the human heart has always insisted that people can come to God without a Savior, that we can earn our own way into God's presence. But the Apostle Paul experienced himself and he testified to the fact that it actually can't be done that way. That redemption was God's action for me. That Jesus accomplished my salvation on the cross. That conversion, coming to faith in Jesus as my Savior, is God's action in me. That faith in Jesus as Savior is a gift of the Holy Spirit, a change that God works in my heart. And that sanctification, God conforming my life and my heart to his will, is God's action through me. And so the Spirit of God had opened Paul's eyes to see himself as he really was in God's eyes. And more importantly, the Spirit had also opened Paul's eyes to see Jesus as he really was, the Savior of every sin-infected life on earth. Jesus, God's own Son, did what no other person could do. He paid the whole price of sin, of all the sins of all people of the whole world, he provided the robe of his own righteousness, his perfect obedience to all of God's commands throughout his whole lifetime as the righteousness that would cover over the sins of all people on earth. So the Apostle Paul knew that that robe of Christ's righteousness covered over his own sinful life and made him acceptable to God. And it makes you and me acceptable to God as well. Every person gathered here today in this church building ought to see here that the, the miracle of conversion, lives brought back to God, forgiven and changed by God, saved for eternity, 
is all the work of his grace. When conversion took place in your life is not all that important. Uh, in, in many of your lives, those of, of us here today, your conversion, your uh, being brought from unbelief and, and controlled by sin and, and the devil to belief and faith in God and, and under the control of his spirit, for many of us, that, that happened before we can even remember when our parents or grandparents or godparents brought us to the baptismal font to receive that washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. For some of us, it happened when we were older, as older children or as adults. But the time is not important. The important thing is that knowing that right now, we have been convinced by the Holy Spirit that our frail, sinful life would never have been saved by our own efforts. Instead, we, we would have sunk deeper and deeper into the quicksand of sin and temptation. But thank God that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do by ourselves. Jesus paid the whole price and brought us back to our Heavenly Father. God's Spirit opened our eyes to see the helplessness of our sinful condition. And it led us to confess our sins and to plead, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He lifted up our eyes to the cross of Jesus and moved us to rejoice. Jesus, your blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. That's the miracle of conversion. We who are connected by faith to Jesus are now citizens of heaven. And after emphasizing that miracle of conversion, the Apostle Paul moves immediately into the next step, the, the fierce struggle that we Christians must go through while we are living here on this earth. We, we are in the world, but God says that he does not want us to be of the world, to be all wrapped up in the things that, that this sinful world prioritizes. Paul reminds us that our life here on earth will not be easy and it will not be perfect because we still have the sinful nature in us. And that's important to understand as we fight the good fight of faith as we sang in our opening hymn. There are some people who, who think that once they become Christian, that they're able to stop sinning and to live a perfect life. But the Apostle Paul was very clear that that is absolutely not the case. He confessed that in verse 12 of our reading, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal. And what was true for him is true of us also, that we are not yet perfect either. Indeed, the Christian life is lifted by the Spirit of God who lives in us. We are temples of God's Holy Spirit. And we have the, the, that beautiful motivation of the good news of God's love for us that makes us want to worship him. It makes us want to thank him for his daily blessings to us and to want to please him as we walk beside him and fight the good fight of faith throughout our lives. Yet we live in a world that is hostile to God and where there are constant temptations all around us. The devil is constantly trying with his uh, enormous power of evil and of, of deception to get us to stumble and to fall and to lead us away from God's truth and from faith in him. And too often he succeeds in his temptations of us. 
And our own sinful nature within us also never gives up in in tempting us and trying to lead us away from God's will and his truth. It's a struggle that the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter 7 where he says that the good I want to do, so often I do not do. And so often the evil I do not want to do, that is what I end up doing. In the next verse of our reading, the Apostle Paul provides the answer to the struggle against sin and temptation in our lives. Paul says, forgetting the things that are behind, in verse 13. Forgetting the sins of the past, because they have all been paid for by Jesus. And God says that he has buried those sins as in the depths of the sea. And since he's done that, let's not go dredging them back out and calling them back into memory to dwell on the guilt of what God has already forgiven. No, that guilt is gone. It's been paid for by Jesus. And now peace is ours through that forgiveness that he has won for us. So Paul writes in verse 13, forgetting the things that are behind and straining toward the things that are ahead. When that load of sins no longer burdens us, we can really then run the good race of the life of faith, unencumbered by that weight of guilt that had previously been a a, a heavy burden on our shoulders. And so here the Apostle Paul introduces a picture that was familiar to those uh, Christians in the city of Philippi, that of runners running in a race to win a prize, pressing on with all their energy and strength in order to win that prize. In verse 14, he pictures the Christian life as a life of running the race and and striving towards that finish line to win the prize. The runner is, is giving all of his energy, straining every muscle, every ounce of strength to win the race and to reach the finish line before everyone else. And of course, for the Christian life, beating others is not the, the, the point of that comparison, but the point is to reach that finish line, to use all of our effort and energy, pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's a picture of our lives as Christians who are, are not content simply to live mediocre lives and, and to give half or, or, or even less than half of, of, of our real In fact, Paul says they aren't even in the race anymore. These people, he says, are living only for the temporary things of this earthly life. He says about them that their God is their appetite. Our Youth Confirmation students have recently looked at the first commandment and And we discussed how an idol, a false god, is not just necessarily a statue of a false god that people bow down to and worship, but it can be anything in our lives that we place a higher value on than God and his word and his will for us. So in this case, their god was their appetite. Maybe literally their appetite, but perhaps also their sinful appetite, their sinful desires, things they wanted to do even though they were against God's will. It's no secret that there are thousands of people in God's world today who have not experienced the miracle of conversion, of coming to faith in Jesus as their Savior, or sadly, who have believed in the past in Jesus, but who have lost their faith in Jesus. And now, 
They don't know the joy of running the good race and of living their lives for Jesus. They have nothing bigger to live for than simply the earthly things that they're going to have to leave behind when this life ends. Paul's words are so descriptive of the unbelieving world in verse 19 where he says, Their God is their appetite and their glory is in their shame. They are thinking only about earthly things. What Paul says about them, not uh, looking down on them and, and lifting himself up, but he says in verse 18, I told you about them often, and now I am saying it while weeping. And we ought to have the same attitude as he did. It ought to grieve the heart of every Christian so that we cannot rest until these people who don't currently believe in Jesus as their Savior are also joining with us on the race of faith toward that goal of heaven. We ought to have this conviction. I have wonderful news to share that I just can't keep to myself. I am a steward of God's mysteries, of the wonderful message of the gospel, that in spite of the sins of all people of the world, God loved us so much that he gave up his own son to save us wretched sinners. I can't help speaking about the things that I have seen and heard. And when Christians become ambassadors for Jesus like this, sharing the mysteries of God, they soon discover that those whose God was their appetite, through God's word, through the message of forgiveness through Jesus, then they are transformed. And now instead, their God becomes the true God, the triune God, Jesus, their Savior. Instead of glorying in their shame and thinking only about earthly things, they are changed to glory in their Savior and to think about heavenly things. And now we come to the grand finale of this reading from Philippians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul says in verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven. This makes all the difference for us in the lives that we live. Think about that image of the, the runner striving for the finish line. Uh, however long the race may be, when that finish line comes in sight and, and the people on the side, sidelines are cheering the runner on, it gives a new burst of energy because we see the goal in sight. And that same, is, same thing is true of our Christian lives as well. When we keep in mind, in our, our, our spiritual sight, that vision of the finish line of eternal life with God in heaven. And when we have in mind the fact that there are fellow believers, Christians here today, and, and those who have gone before us with their witness of faith who are encouraging us along the way toward that goal. And when we have that in mind, then our worship here in church takes on new meaning and new spirit, moved by the Holy Spirit in us. Our lives then become very meaningful as a daily walk with God and with our Savior Jesus. Our witness for Jesus, our, our testimony to others about his love to us becomes alive in word and in deed. And our service to others becomes a joy. We live and labor and give for him who lived and died and gave himself for us. Citizens of heaven, know that we have a, a, 
only a limited amount of time left before we cross that finish line at the end of this life. And so our pace quickens. We know that this sin-infected world will be destroyed and that these lowly bodies will on the last day become like Jesus' glorious body. We know that the church militant believers here on this earth who are struggling against sin and temptation, that we will become the church triumphant, receiving all of the benefits and blessings of Jesus' victory with him in heaven. That we who are only strangers and pilgrims in this earthly life, that we will finally know the joys of permanent citizenship in our true home of heaven with our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus. The Apostle Paul loved dearly those Christians in Philippi. They knew the miracle of conversion. They were growing in their sanctified life as Christians. And as they saw that that finish line out before them through these words of the Apostle Paul, their pace quickened and they renewed their energy, striving towards that goal. And now, by God's grace, those to whom Paul was writing, they are now citizens of heaven for all eternity. And this morning, God has given us the privilege to hear this message from that, that same text that had touched the hearts of those believers almost 2,000 years ago. The love of Jesus has reached out to us and has made us his own through faith in him as our Savior. Thank God for that miracle of conversion. And just like Paul, our, our lives are not perfect But God isn't done with us yet. He's drawing us to himself this morning again through his word so that we may continue to run the good race of faith. And as Paul says, our faith is more precious than gold. It is the most precious, the most valuable thing that we have in this earthly life. The finish line is sure. Jesus has redeemed us with his own blood, and he promises that he will never let us go, that nothing can snatch us out of his hands. He will guard and preserve and strengthen us in faith in him until he brings us to that heavenly goal. He assures us that we are citizens of heaven. So, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.